Welcome, Pewter Report readers, listeners, and viewers to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. I am John Ledyard from PewterReport.com. With me today, Matt Matera, also from PewterReport.com. We've got a lot to talk about and break down as it pertains to your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Matt, we've had like, uh, this feels like the second bye week we've kind of had at this point, and it's getting to the point where I'm just ready for football games a little closer together. Maybe I'll regret saying that, but it feels like we had the like, preseason, then we have this huge break, and then the Thursday night game, and now we have this four extra days, basically, right? the other teams don't have. And there was so much up. football. There was so much football post since the Bucks had their home opener that it feels mm-hmm. like that game was so long ago. It's nice to get back into the swing of things. We are back at practice today. Spoke to some coaches and players today, which was awesome to get back into that. And the Bucks are one to know. So morale is high. Yeah. And it's a victory Tuesday, I guess. I mean, we, yeah. I, I think that just Scott and JC did the, the obligatory victory Monday yesterday on the podcast, but we'll, we'll throw a victory Tuesday out there because sure. it is a victory Tuesday, but there's still things to clean up and things to fix. And we're going to discuss those today on the show. We're going to take an in-depth look at this Bucks running game. People have been asking for a long time, what's going on with the Bucks running game? How can it be fixed? How can it be better? How can it be more efficient? And the long story is that there's no quick answer to it. So we're just going to do a whole pod on it. It's not going to be quick answer. We're going to go in depth on it. We're going to talk about all the details of this run game, all the things that I believe are wrong and, and are not wrong. And, and what we think we can, this team can do to fix uh, the, the Bucks running woes that they have at times. You know, this isn't, not talking about the worst running game in the league. We're just talking right. about a unit that can absolutely get better in that regard. So we'll talk about all of that this week on the show or today on the show. We're excited about that. But first, Got to talk about our friends over at Celsius.com. Celsius Energy Drinks powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. You've got the grape rush going today. I've I got do. the watermelon going today. Healthy energy accelerates metabolism, burns body fat, unbelievable taste without any sugar. Uh, it's very much a cheat code. It's very unbelievable. Uh, Celsius.com is where you can check out the Celsius Energy Drinks, obviously. You can also go to Amazon and order yourself some Celsius. Get the variety pack, get a bunch of different flavors, find out what you like. You can also do that with a little thing we like to call fast energy bars. Oh, yeah. White chocolate cookies and cream. They also got the, uh, the what, the caramel peanut crunch. That one's actually probably my favorite, although I love the cookies and cream too. I had one yesterday. They are absolutely outstanding, and you can right now get them for 20% off. Click the link that's in the YouTube description. If you've ever wanted, "Mm, I wonder what those taste like, but I'm not sure. Go spend the money now. Do it now. 20% off. Uh, you can get when you uh, when you click that link down below in the YouTube description, you can go on Amazon and get these things. You can get the variety pack, I believe, too, that's included in that deal. So you can get the white chocolate cookies and cream and the chocolate peanut crunch and so or caramel crunch. So you get kind of the best of both worlds there and get to try both so check out celsius check out the fast energy bars make your day uh today make your week make it all better speaking of making it better matt okay we got this bucks run scheme man what's going on here they come out it's like okay yeah the cowboys are starting you know with three defensive tackles that can't tie their own shoes this right. should be a game where the run game kind of dictates the pace of things and i want to say first in fairness to the run game this is a very small sample size we're looking at here. Leonard Fournette ran nine times for 32 yards. Mm-hmm. At least a couple of those were in short yardage situations. Ronald Jones ran four times for 14 yards. <laughs> and Antonio Brown had an end around for six yards. There were some solid runs in there. There were no big losses or things blown up or anything. But overall, it just doesn't seem like there is space when the Bucks running backs run the football. And it's getting to the point now where you wonder, what's the ceiling for this unit and will it eventually hold this team back? And those are kind of some things I know that we want to you know, tackle today on the show. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that it's a small sample size because the sample size is that small, as I'm saying so many S's here in these sentences, those 14 carries by the box, including the one end around to Antonio Brown, that was the least amount of carries that any team had in the first week of the NFL. So mm-hmm. the Bucks are last in the league in terms of just overall handoffs. And I think that speaks more to just how good their receivers are and how much they want to be up-tempo and attack and use that two-minute offense. And the fact that they had to use that two-minute offense at the end of the game to set up the game-winning field goal, 
I think it speaks more to that than actually the overall struggles that I would say the run game had. They averaged 3.7 yards per carry. That's not ideal. It was more in the, the bottom half of right. the league, just looking at the stats, but again, one week. Uh, but I didn't walk away from the game being overly frustrated with the running game. I just felt they didn't really have a ton of opportunities because they didn't want to have a lot of opportunities. And once you got Ronald Jones out of the game, it's like, all right, well, we're not going to completely tire Leonard Fournette. And I still think, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Giovanni Bernard today yeah. too, even though he's in more of the passing game. This is just an educated guess here, but I am of the the feeling that his ankle is bothering him more than what the team is leading on, which I think is why you only mm. saw him in Conspiracy such theory matter. Yeah, here. putting on the tinfoil hat. There we go. And I just we didn't really see him too much in the game besides that two minute drill. I yeah. think there's something a little bit more to that than what uh, what the coaches have been leading on. Yeah, that's going to be something that we can unpack a little bit, but only from a distance, right? We really don't know. You know, we know we've asked repeatedly about it. He's, he's totally fine. You know, that's it. He's back full practice before he probably needed to be. So I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't know if there's a lot of indication of that so far, but uh, we'll, something to monitor moving forward for sure. I want to get into a little bit of like just how they run the football and what they do running the football. You know, I'll say this. I give Luffwich a lot of credit because I think they could have, finished this game and by the end looked up and said, hey, we averaged four yards a carry if they kept grinding at it. I think that was in the cards for them. But he recognized early on this is going to be a shootout. Like yep. Dallas is going to throw the ball 50 times and you know more, and we're going to have to throw that that many times to match him. Sean Murphy Bunting goes out, and he wasn't playing well before that. And so there's these deficiencies in the secondary and or just you know overall just the, the scheme. You know if, if they're getting picked apart on that side of the ball and it looks like that kind of a game, also, just less about the defense and more about the fact that the Bucks were having so much success through the air. I mean, when they didn't drop the ball, uh, the Cowboys made a couple late in the game, a couple diving deflections, grazing mm -hmm. the ball in zone coverage from a couple corners. Give them credit for that. But there were a lot of kind of we're doing whatever we wanted in the passing game. And, and that's how you right? if you can do that in the passing game, the efficiency is going to be way up. So I give Luffwich a ton of credit for not beating his head against the wall in this game, for getting away from the run and making it a shoot and, and being able to say, hey, we're going to be super aggressive on offense. They threw in a lot of first downs. I think their neutral situation pass rate was third in the NFL, I believe, uh, in week one. So great numbers is exactly what you want to see. You know, successful teams tend to be at the high end of that neutral pass situation. I did talk a little bit on Friday, though, about Leftwich, and I was very pleased with the way that he handled things. Didn't think it was perfect, but rarely are you going to think that from your couch. Uh, I thought that he coached a really, really strong game. But I'll say this, the run scheme, which I don't think is necessarily on Leftwich, it's just something that it's just not quite what it needs to be for this team to be more efficient running the football long term. Like this is just to me, not a scheme that's really built to be efficient week in and week out. And, and it's because of a, a couple of things, Matt, that we'll get into. The first one I want to bring up is the, the blocking, the, uh, the idea that you need to your tight ends to be able to block in a scheme that relies on vertical rushing. So that means your tight ends have to basically displace or turn out defensive ends by themselves. You are double teams inside for a lot of your run scheme. Um, and your tight ends have to be able to lock on an end and turn them out or drive them off the ball. And it's just not something a lot of tight ends in the league can do. I think Rob Gronkowski is an adequate run blocker. He's an elite pass protector uh, as a tight end, but that's only going to come in handy a few snaps a game. And so you're asking your tight ends to just do a lot in the run game. And everybody, the, the lazy, I say lazy, not in a mean way. I just say lazy is in the simple kind of, oh, they're not running the ball. The offensive line sucks. Um, that's kind <laughs> of the takeaway. I honestly like don't watch Bucks games and ever really feel that way. And I, you know, I, I think that this offensive line is a good run blocking unit, Matt. I think that by and large, all five of these guys can can run block a little bit. Now, did Demarcus Lawrence give Tristan Wirfs all he could handle on a few plays? Yes, absolutely. And that was part of the problem in the run game for sure. Demarcus Lawrence was. We'll get to him in a second. But I think asking your tight ends to ISO block DNs a lot of the time and to be a key part of the run scheme, especially this type of scheme, is just it's asking for trouble. I don't think those guys can get that job done more often than not. And 
as you watch tape of it, you see it become a problem. That guy, whoever that is, assignment is, is getting involved in the run stop more often than not, way more than you'd like, especially considering how much push the Bucks have gotten, you know, even this preseason with some of their double teams up front. You'd love to see more help out on the perimeters from the blocking scheme, but right now that's just not in the cards. That should be an adjustment moving forward. I mean, not every team has a, a George Kittle as a blocking tight end on Did their team. Did you see those clips? <laughs> I saw you praising him. They were unreal. The one where he barrel-rolled barrel the uh, the defender was was oh like truly just, goodness, man. just a beautiful thing to see if you're into blocking, which as a mm. former offensive lineman myself way back in the day, I definitely – were you? Appreciate. I did not know that. Yeah, I played left wow. tackle and a little bit of center too. So, you know, I got a soft spot in my heart for Ryan Jensen okay. and uh, Tristan Wirfs and Donovan Smith. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but anyway, it is because, and this will go back to the, the Rojo Lombardi Lenny debate that many Bucks fans have had since pretty much since the Super Bowl ended. Yeah. Um, where, you know, with the the vertical running scheme that you're talking about, I think that does help with a guy like Ronald Jones, who I think does that pretty well. I do feel with the limited success that the Bucks have had, and we'll see how this goes throughout the season too, the, uh, some of it is just the – and you spoke about this earlier about how, like, it's okay, but it, it seems like it's not as comfortable as it should be. Where it seems like you want every running back to break tackles to you know get that that yard after contact the other yak, and um, you're almost relying too much on on it right now with with these running backs. Where if you want to get that five yard gain, if you want to see a big ten yard run for a first down, you're going to need Rojo or Leonard Fournette to like run in the middle, cut to the yeah. outside, and make a big play or two. And while that's great, and you want to see that you're not going to get that on a consistent basis. The offensive line has to win on that consistent basis. And it almost feels like a little bit too much, even though the Bucs are implementing a little bit more motion and which a lot of people have asked for, you got receiving back and forth. It still seems too boxed in a bit, which is leading to, to you know, just not the, the type of output that you would want to see from this overall running game. Again, though, I, I just I don't come away like too angry with what I saw in that first game. I just want to see a little bit more improvement. It's like they yeah. just get to the line and they just squeeze out to the other to, to the other side to that second level. Because you saw some good five yard rushes in there. And for this team, you you don't you just don't want to end up second and nine, second and ten. You know, you can live with the five yeah. yard rushes moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, five yards on first down if you're running, that's a success yeah, it's rate. Two yeah, two downs in first yeah, down. That achieves success rate. So, I mean, that's that's a fine result. You know, but the reality is this: with the Bucks scheme, as long as you're bringing variables into the equation, and people have heard me talk about this before. But when you're running out of twelve and you're bringing a wide receiver in to block as well as often as they do, and they didn't do this all the time against Dallas, to be fair. But when they do that, they're just you're bringing a lot of variables into the equation, and the run game is really all about variables. If you want efficiency in the run game, like there's been mm -hmm. tons of studies that show that from people way smarter than me. But the less variables you have to control in the run game, the more the better chance you have at being efficient or being successful on a more on a snap to snap basis or a run to run basis, which is really what you're looking for. You're looking for best percentage chances. You still have to go out there and execute. Tristan Wirf still has to block. Marcus yeah. Lawrence one-on-one -on -one once in a while, you know, you still have to have your double teams displace a D tackle or turn them out and then climb to the linebacker. Like that stuff still has to happen. It doesn't take the football out of it, but the averages, the percentages put you in a position to say, okay, our, our football is now more likely to result in a positive result. And so that's where the bucks need to be more aware of. I think when they do these things, they bring all these variables into the equation. They're running on tighter boxes because of how many how condensed the line of scrimmages, how condensed their splits are when they have spread things a little bit more and run out of 11, um, you know, a personnel with three wide receivers on the field and not ask Chris. I know Chris Godwin's a good blocker. I get that. You love him blocking, but right. he shouldn't be their fullback, but know? right. He is not an insert. <laughs> I'm going to displace a linebacker blocker. No wide receiver is like not on a person at basis or a per run basis as a variable change of pace once in a while. Okay. But as often as they ask him to do things like that, 
he is just not that type of player. Maybe you saw him block in practice and you thought that he was unbelievable at it. And he is on the perimeter. He's a great blocker. You know, there are ways that he can help you as a blocker. It is just not going to be as a heavy play side asset in the run game. That's it's just kind of a silly ask of Chris Godwin. It's taking something that he's good at and asking him to be like better than any like receivers don't really do that kind of stuff, not the kind of stuff they ask him to do. Um, and so I think that it's not really a, a great that part of it is not a, a has not been a great solution for them. I think they think that it is, but it is really not a, 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 the strength that they believe that it is. Um, so I would take those guys out of the equation more in the run game or ask it to be like different. Like the other day they brought Godwin in a, in a short motion and they kind of just had him literally stop and like turn in front of the defensive end. It was mm-hmm. a zone run and they hit it backside. They hit it in the B gap. And it was kind of, it was, this was against the Texans in the preseason and Godwin just literally had to turn and kind of stand in front of the defensive end. Um, and we do have some great questions and comments. I'm going to get to in a second. I'm going to bring a bunch of you up on the screen here. Second, but just want to say, I think that is kind of okay. If you want to use somebody as a blocker, use them within the motion and ask them to like basically be in the way, right? Like Shanahan's run schemes, everybody's like, how are they so successful all the time? It's all angles, right? It just creates yeah. angles and you cut off those angles and it puts players, it seals them off. You're not like vertically displacing people constantly. Like that, think about how more difficult that is. Shanahan's able to, whether it's gap or or zone. He's able to create angles in the run game. And because of that, backs can hit with speed. And they, there's there's a path, right? Because he's created an angle. He's off guys. He just re, he just teaches his guys to where defenders are, be in front of them, be in their way. And that's what they do. And that's why it's successful. Um, obviously, their scheme is beyond what Tampa Bay is going to be capable of. Mm-hmm. But I think there's things you can learn from that as the Bucks have slowly crept into more of the zone territory as a rushing team after being very duo heavy for a while. Um there's things that they can learn from that regard that will make life easier. But I think the biggest takeaway for me, I'll ha- I'll just get a headline here and then I'll let you go for a second before I bring up some of these comments. The biggest thing to me is that the offensive line is not the problem in the run game. Oh, by and large, they then lose a one-on-one block or, you know, they're never, you know, obviously you'll slip off a double at times and, you, you know, that thing stuff will happen. But by and large, this is not a group getting blown off the ball. This is a group that dictates the pace up front. And that's what you want. So by and large, they are not the problem. And I think some of the fringe blockers are more of the problem a lot of the time in the scheme, like the wide receivers, the tight ends, and making their job simpler could increase the efficiency of the run game. That's like point number one and two, maybe. There's other parts to this, but that's my like my first and second observations from studying the Bucs. I got you. Slowly but surely, the Bucs offense is getting... I don't want to say futuristic, but in in the in the mind of Byron Leftwich, it's futuristic the way that they're using motions and and uh, organizing run schemes that other teams have been using. That's an interesting yeah. take. That it's because yeah, I mean, a lot of people just jump to oh well, if the run game isn't there, then it has to be on the offensive line. But yeah, I agree with you that the the, the interior O line, it's well, the O line itself, those mm-hmm. starting five players. They're really good at getting a hat on a hat and, and getting to that second level, and I think that's what that team, this team needs, mm. clearly. But also, there, there really aren't super. I mean, there are maybe the lead players in that, but there aren't like these massive varying degrees of being great at run blocking in the NFL. Yeah. in my opinion, like I think most like you're either kind of like there's players that are bad obviously at it, but then once you're good, like there's really not a huge difference between the guys who are good and the guys who right. are like, amazing. You don't have guys, you know, Vita Veying people <laughs> out of the space. Hey, all Vita Vey is part NFL. of the run game too, man. That's right. He's part of the run <laughs> but, game. I mean, maybe the top <laughs> tier of guys, right? Like the Quentin sure. Nelsons, the Trent Williams. Maybe like one-on-one they do freakish things on a per-game basis in the run game that creates the whole thing. But most of the time it's scheme and asking your players to play within the scheme at an, ad- at an adequate level. There might be a player or two you have to replace at times, but – We've seen lots of good run schemes with offensive linemen. You couldn't name like half their offensive linemen. Like, you don't know who they are. They're just, it's a great look at Tennessee. Like, I know people know Luan, but yeah, you know, they've busting with this, the boys. They've been doing this, whatever, interior offensive line, and they've been running the ball great. And the Ravens are just 
plugging people in all over the place. You got Tyson Williams and Latavius yeah, Murray last for night. the backs, yeah, and for the offensive line. I mean, you're, and you, know, you were crushing Villanueva too. Yeah, you, you were you were still crushing the Raven offensive line too. After uh, <laughs> that's true. that and was more for play. that was more for yeah. their yeah their pass blocking yeah. and everything like that. But I that's the maybe thing. The scheme makes them good even when there's players that right. are individually probably not that great. I think where some of the frustration comes from too is. Because there's only been one game, you can only go off of how they performed on opening night. Everyone expected the offense overall to dominate the Cowboys' defense. And you could say they did in the passing game. And you could argue the case. And I kind of – I stand in this – on this side of it as well, too, that – I mean, I – the Bucs, I think, run away with that game if you don't have – and it's all coulda, woulda, shoulda. But if the Rojo – fumble doesn't happen and then the Fournette drop into an interception doesn't occur literally on the next play and both mm. right in their territory so yeah. the Cowboys have a short field I think the Bucks run away with this game and then implement right. more of a run game and as much as the Bucks mm-hmm. dominated in the passing game because they didn't really jam it down the throats of the Cowboys people get a little frustrated about that when you see those three or four yard runs that could change right. next week if the Bucks jump out to a big lead and you play a team like the Falcons, who allowed 173 rushing yards to the Eagles last week. Now, granted, you had Jalen Hurts, a mobile quarterback, a lot of different stuff going on there, so it could be different. But I think just it's just the fact that the Bucks didn't dominate frustrates people Score more one. than yeah. maybe yeah maybe than yeah. What, yeah, you got to look at process. I mean, obviously the results will win, but you got to look at process too. And and this team had a good process. They execution could have been a little better, but it was a very good process the other night, in my opinion. Like very good in a lot of ways. And we could talk more about that maybe later in the show. All right, if you have questions and comments, throw them up on the screen. Now, I have some that I, I I've kind of marked to get back to here, and we'll get back to them in a second. First, I got to talk about our friends over at Whiskey Wings, Matt, because they are doing game changer yep. stuff over Whiskey Wings. Look at this. I mean, look at that chicken sandwich. It's actually bigger in person, by the way. Whiskey Wings over in Temple Terrace. They've got five locations, but Temple Terrace location, I was at and had this chicken sandwich. It was unbelievable. They've got wings. They've got buffalo chicken sandwiches. They've got burgers. They've got specials going on every night, too, over at Whiskey Wings. Tonight, they've got $8.99 chicken quesadillas. They look scrumptious. $10.99 wings and boneless combo tomorrow night over at Whiskey Wings. $10.99 wings. That, that's hard to find these days, man, with the wing oh, shortage yeah. going on right now. Um, so make sure you check out Whiskey Wings over in Temple Terrace. The, uh, whiskeywings.com. You can check up, look out the look at the menu. And it's a beautiful facility. It's just a great place to eat. It's it is. It's clean. It's it's I've nice. actually um, yeah, I've good. been awesome. I've been going to Whiskey Wings since before they even sponsored Pewter Report with the Pewter Report yeah. podcast. So there you go. You know, you know. I know. I know good food and good establishments yeah. before they even sure. sponsor with us. Right. Great stuff from Whiskey Wings. Okay, let's get to some comments here. This was an interesting one. I kind of want to see Big MGM says I kind of want to see more toss and misdirection looks for Jones. If he can succeed in that type of formations, it could open up a lot and use Gronk and Godwin's blocking strength to our advantage. Yeah, that's possible. You know, I mean, I'm not against toss or misdirection stuff but the problem is it just has to be your bread and butter like you have to practice it enough to be good at it and um that would be obviously a, a variation for the bucks they ran crack toss maybe eight times last year i want to say um so it just has to be something that you feel comfortable with timing and all of that and and way the blocks come and if the front looks this way you you block it this way because those plays get strung out for losses if they're if they're not yeah you know, if you're not they're not your bread and butter so that's the only thing I'll say there. Nothing against it. I don't think the Bucs have anything against it. They've obviously done some of that. We've seen – we saw an end around for AB. We saw a fake end around AB that was, that a, was supposed to be – Yeah, that, that was a big surprise, though. And a, and a big knock on the Bucks' offense last year was their their predictability and that they kind of run the same plays or they run the ball on first down. It looks the so, same pre-snap, static looks. It looks yes, the same post-snap. Yes, yeah. so this would be something I could definitely get behind. Yeah. Oh, I mean, again, like you said, they have to perfect it in practice and then execute right. it in the game. But if teams don't see that coming and you start with your quote unquote static look for a little bit and then wham, you spring that on them, could yeah. turn into a really big thing for this team down the road. 
Yeah. I mean, I was so impressed with how much more creativity it looked like that there was from left, which, and not to get away from the run topic, but since it's come up here, just, just to highlight a couple real quick, like to do a play action boot with Tom Brady on the goal line. And some people thought he was going to run it in. Yeah. Like somebody (laughs) didn't mess up a route there, but I mean, we didn't see Brady boot at all last year. So he's pulling out stuff in, especially in the red area that people don't see. And then, you know, he's using motion on the goal line the second, on the first, uh, first touchdown of the game to Godwin. He's using motion with Godwin. It's man coverage. Okay, now we're going to go play action. Brady checks the safety. Safety shades to the two receiver side. Boom, he zips it right down the seam to Godwin. Touchdown. You know, that's kind of stuff. The usage of motion was so heavy in this game. There was a, another pass to Chris Godwin um, where he's motion at the snap actually comes across. For the, the first formation. down. He went yeah, down the for, field. It's man yeah. coverage. Yep. And the and the and the concept just kind of picks the corner, rubs him off, and then boom, you've got Godwin down the sideline for a big gain after the catch. Easy. That was the uh, completions. That right? was the like, Ryan Jensen taunting and then the penalty was, and the penalty on Dallas as well, too. Yes, but it all worked out because it was offsetting yeah. penalties, but the play counted. So it all worked it out. It was. Yeah, it did. It should have been 15 <laughs> tacked on. That, the taunting is just absurd to me, but yes, yeah, those kind Jackson of things... literally got punched in the face. It was crazy, yeah, but on. yeah, but they're gonna <laughs> they they're gonna call... call him for taunting. I mean, yeah, whatever. That's it's the thing with story Jensen. When you, when you get the reputation, Matt, it just it tracks you when you're Jensen. I think, so. but the ref was right there. That came mm-hmm. at me, and the ref was like, "Yeah, I can't even do the face." He's like, mm, you know, not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, anyway, but anyway. They ran, uh, they did a fake end around with AB. They, it was a shot play. They tried they, right as they crossed the 50. They do those all the time, but they did like a fake end around with AB and had like a, um, it was like a kind of like a more like a, a spear concept or a Yankee concept where the receivers on Evans and Godwin kind of did deep crosses and kind of, and, and where they were looking to take a shot. Godwin, the safety kind of capped and Evans, I, it looked like he got held to me on the all 22. And Brady didn't take the shot. He went short to AB, seven yards. Good decision by Brady, I felt like. Um, but that kind of stuff, man. Like, okay, now you're window dressing a shot play to pull people up to get safety's eyes in the backfield. I mean, I just love the ideas. I love the creativity. It's not stuff I think left to his own devices, maybe that Bruce Arians would have done. Old dog, new tricks type of conversation. And I think Leftwich now, and to give Arians credit, he's turned over a lot of control of Leftwich. And Leftwich has taken that, I think, and made this offense much more creative and much more motion-centric. And I'm sure Brady's had some input, and Leftwich has listened to him, which is what any good leader does. Um, and so that is yeah, really good signs for the future, by the way, uh, for Tampa Bay in the past game. So some cool things there for sure. Let's get back to some of these comments. I want to make sure we get some good ones in. Here's another one from Big MG. Not to just shout him out. I've seen other people putting good comments. So for the people wondering why Rojo got benched, it's not because of the fumble. And Arian said so himself. His demeanor after the fumble made him go to Lenny. He was mopping where Fournette didn't. Now he, means now he was moping. He means moping, yes. But he was mopping. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but No, I think that this is a good point, though. And I want to talk about this a little bit because this will lead us directly into the running back conversation in Tampa Bay. And that's another part of this run game equation that I know that you'll speak to as well. This situation with Roach was not the coaches were mad at him and they benched him like that. The, just the fact that Leonard dropped the next pass for an interception gives you a clear indication. of this. Right. Like Leonard's mistake was unforced error that Arians actually specifically called out. It, it was more like Leonard Fournette was more at fault for the turnover oh, yeah. on his play than, 100%. I mean, they're both at fault, but like Leonard's was way more egregious in the sense 100%. that, you know, running backs fumble the ball running plays because the defender made a good play. That was all on Leonard Fournette on that screen. Like they, there was no excuses. The Cowboys didn't force that turnover. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because the Fournette thing is interesting to me because people saw it and they said, okay, like they just like Fournette more. <clears throat> I just don't think that was the case. I think Fournette, showed a demeanor that was like, I'm ready to atone for my mistake. And Rojo was like, I did it again. Like, I can't believe I did it again. Yeah. And that's not new. Like, if it would be different if this were the first time we'd had a hint of this from Rojo. We, this is not. We know this is this is something Rojo struggled with. And I feel that. And I think the human elements of this game that we need to be conscious of and aware of as analysts and, and, and say that. But at the same time, if you're the Bucks coaches, you've handled this differently in the past. Okay, you're not gonna necessarily go back in the game. You're you're not ready to go back in the game right now. Okay, like we're gonna keep you out, uh, or or you're totally ready to go back in the game. Like you're all set to go. Like Panthers game last year, we're gonna put you back in the game. 
um, and you're going to be productive again. And it's just about them working with him and his personality and what he's telling them and communicating them. And we can't do that from the outside. So to be critical of coaches in that way, to me, is just totally unfair. We know that there is a lot of smoke in this area with Rojo when it comes to confidence, and he's talked about it. His position coaches have talked about it. They've all been very vocally supportive of him. Arians continues to be vocally supportive of him. So I do not think Rojo was benched because of his fumble. I know that that's an easy narrative to come up with, and the Bucs rarely choose to clarify easy narratives because Rosarian just doesn't care what we write. Um, but I don't think that was the case here, and I think you'll see plenty of Rojo next week because I think the Bucs trust him and they want him to know that they trust him. It's just about whether he's ready to play or not. That's the key, I think. And credit for t- to Fournette as well, as he said that he wanted to make up for his mistake. I mean, he made an incredible catch on that play where Brady was essentially jumping, diving, falling, whatever you want to call it. And he threw no it idea towards what the sideline. I, I know, I know. And he, he made pass. a great catch. That was a very, what do you call it? That was a great catch. A gazelle pass. I a know. gazelle pass. At least said Giselle for a second. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> you want to pay homage to his wife. I, I get it. But uh, No, a gazelle um, pass. I, I don't know what it was, actually, though. He was, like, falling. It wasn't, like, diving like the Mahomes. Or what was Mahomes? Yeah. Kind of like, <laughs> Some people were saying, like, oh, you said Brady can't do what Mahomes does, and then he does right. that. That was funny. But <laughs> anyway. A very accurate throw. Like, right. But it was just a very but dangerous it, throw. It was, a, it was very dangerous. But it, a great catch there. By Fournette. Lost Michael Parsons. Now, to go back to the confidence thing and everything with Rojo. So, Bruce Arians said today that Ronald Jones will be the starter for week two and that they are very confident that he will be able to bounce back. That goes into everything that you were just saying. Does Bruce Arians come out and say that because he wants to instill the confidence in Ronald Jones? Is it almost similar to the preseason when he said, I'm very confident that O.J. Howard can catch the ball and he'll have a good third preseason game and everything like that. That was a little interesting. He went out right away and said, Ronald Jones is our starter for week two. I mean, Leonard Fournette was the starter week one. Why would that change, especially after uh, Ronald Jones did not play after that fumble in week one besides right. the whole the, the whole confidence issue? So yeah. uh, I thought that was uh, a big takeaway from from today's press conferences, and you can – Read that story on PeterReport.com as well. Yeah, for sure. I want to show a layered play to kind of get some you know, idea. For I people. like this. Let's, like, let's break it down. Yeah, let's get in the film room a little bit here. Let's just show. Uh, this is what I'm. You're, you're Peyton Leonard. Manning, and I'm Eli Manning. So, <laughs> Leonard did this twice. Yeah, you know, that I've seen. I actually have to go through a couple more runs, and he he did have be at some nice plays. I mean, he, he the second late in the game, he he does tend to be at his best self, which you know is good. Um, but this is kind of part of the problem. This is the first run of the game, I believe. And he's reading this. I'll, I'll just kind of let it run here for a second. He's reading this, and he's watching number 11, this linebacker, Micah Parsons over here. He's watching Micah Parsons, and he's saying, okay, what you do, if you stay there, I'm going to manipulate you. If you go to the B gap here, I'm going through the A gap here, depending on what this nose tackle does, this nose tackle right here. If you go the other way, then yeah. I'm doing the other thing. And so watch, Parsons makes it easy for him. He's right out of there, right? It's easy. The yeah, hole's yeah, right there. Everyone's got, everyone's got a hat in the hat. You got the double team right there with right. Werfs and Kappa going to get off to that, yes. that linebacker right over there. And his Everything's eyes are there. Much he knows it. He knows it. His eyes are there. This isn't like I can't see it type of thing for Leonard. He can see it. Ryan Jensen right here on the nose tackle. Is he going to hold this block? We don't know. Like we, we don't know. If you're Leonard, you're not thinking that far ahead. Guy's covered. Everybody's covered up at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. You know where the hole is. You can hit it at full speed. This is an easy decision. The linebacker's taking himself out of the equation, and Marpet has him covered up here, and this is an easy decision for a run and to, to know where to go with the ball here. Now, the safety is filling from deep. That's okay. As a running back, you want that. Make that guy yeah. miss. Hurt that guy. But where are you going, Leonard? Why'd you stop your feet? Yeah, yeah he, did the little, he did the little stutter step that we, we said – multiple times why are you doing this look at this there it is there's the cut laterally when you don't need to you're not going back toward works and gronk no you're going upfield and if that safety tackles you at five six seven yards okay that's a yeah great, well great exactly that's down. and you're setting the tone right and if he doesn't you're going to the house baby like <laughs> make that guy miss but this is just leonard does not have that mentality he wants to move away from people in the open field you want your backs on safeties in the open field. 
that's what you scheme for. And he consistently takes him out of those situations because of who he is as a player a lot of the time. Maybe the so, coaches saw that and they're like, all right, well, if Rojo was in there, he hits the hole, right. he makes a safety miss, and he does a, a repeat of his 99-yard touchdown or go for yeah. two on the 99-yard. This one would be 75, but you get the point I'm trying to make. I get the point I'm trying to make, and that's why <laughs> I think prefer it is preferable to them if Rojo is in there for those situations because Rojo does tend to be more decisive. And, um, you know, there's times where Leonard is too, but it's just way fewer and far between. I I, I mean, people know if you tune in the show last year, I brought up all the time on the show, and I was always bringing up plays where Leonard did this kind of stuff. It's just like he just, he second-guesses himself all the time with the ball. It's like he doesn't see it. He sees it. He's just, oh, safety's filling. Like, I got to go somewhere. Maybe there's a better option, you know, because that safety's filling. The safety's job is to fill. Like, if he fills fast, good for him. Yeah. But your job is to go through and just make a miss. So just do your job. Like, that's it. Um, and he ended up, they good, the double, uh, the right uh, the right side line ended up pushing forward and he ended up getting four or five yards out of that. But it was still the wrong read. You know, it was the wrong process, the mm-hmm. wrong decision. And so that's where I get to with him a lot of the time, I think, is that just there's too many mistakes with Leonard like that in the run game. And that takes away from things, right? And we're talking about running the ball. We're talking about efficiency. That's what we're talking about. And he, the run game isn't efficient. And some of the reasons I just mentioned, also a lot of it has to do with the backs. Leonard is not just, is not a very good running back in terms of what you're supposed to do consistently, efficiently. They might have a good game every once in a while, but he makes things harder for himself than it has to be a lot of the time. And Rojo could be a thousand yard rusher, as we saw last year, but he can't stay on the field. <laughs> Whether it's, yeah. you know, last year with some health things and COVID. And, First it was or, pass blocking, then it was health. This year, it's pass you know, blocking, fumble. receiving, fumbling, mental stuff, whatever it might be with Rojo. He just can't stay out there. If he could, they would be a much better rushing team. If he were get a guy getting 15, 20 carries, whatever it is for the top, you know, whatever, how many times they're rushing him, great. But he's not because he can't stay on the field that much. And so they feel like they have to use Leonard. Uh, and so it takes away from the run scheme, too. So with a better yeah. back, would this be a better rushing scheme? Yes, I think it would. And Rojo, in my opinion, too, he's a guy that needs to at least at a minimum have double-digit carries, 10 carries in a game to really feel an impact or to make an impact on the offense. Obviously, we know what happened in the first game. But I think the Bucks' best success is if Rojo gets 10 to 15 carries a game. What that means for Leonard Fournette, who knows? But at the end of the day, you're just going to go with what makes you most successful. So for the Bucks. Normally, that's just going to be passing the ball anyway. But if you're going to make mm-hmm. the most of your limited rushing opportunities, because you know how good this offense is and this passing game is, you got to give Rojo enough opportunities to let him really do his thing in the run game. And I think he still will have a big presence on he this will. team. It's just mm-hmm. he's got to overcome it himself, really, is what it comes down mm-hmm. to. Yeah, there's it, that's it. That's it. We don't need to say much more on that. You're right. Spot on with that, Matt. I believe that you're right that he does have to just kind of – this has to be a thing for him. He takes on and overcomes himself. You got a message for for the people. We're going to talk about Byron Leftwich here. I see some of your comments here, Emily. I'm going to get to your comments. But we're going to – let's talk about our friends over at Pin Chasers, Matt, because some big dates are coming up that people are going to need to know about for Pin Chasers. That's right. Mark it in your calendars right now, October 11th, Monday. That's Columbus Day, I believe. So I know you have off, so you're going to be able to come to this. The Pewter Report Bowling League is back starting on that Monday, October 11th. Make sure you tell your friends. Let's go. You could bring a team, teams of three and four. You can come individually. That's okay, too. We will set you up on a team October 11th. That's the first day. But I'll tell you a little bit more about Pin Chase's overall as well, too. They are a family-owned business that has been around for 60 years, and they're huge Bucks fans. That's Pin Chase's Bowling. It's a family-friendly place that's a great spot for your whole group, your whole family to enjoy an afternoon or an evening. They have events going on every single week besides the Peter Report Bowling League itself. They got Tuesday night pizza bowl. Tonight, Tuesday night pizza bowl. All-you-can-eat pizza for $11.99 after 9 p.m. Thursday nights, they got unlimited bowling after 9 p.m. also for $11.99 and $1 Miller Lights. Uh, They got great food, too, as well at the 10-pin grill. Burgers, sandwiches, fries, quesadillas, salads, if you want the healthy food, which I got to start eating the healthy food, too. Uh, But the best part, too, when it comes to all the food, they have breakfast at any time. We are not just talking about in the morning. You could have breakfast at 10 o'clock at night if you wanted to. If you're in the mood for pancakes or waffles, you could have breakfast anytime. So, yeah, 
that's great. I've had the food. I can tell you from a firsthand experience, their food is great. Uh, Pin Chasers has three different locations. They got one in East Pasco. I don't know why I'm pointing this way. I just, I'm Italian. I talk with my hands. I can't even see you pointing. I got the graphic up. Oh, okay. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You got one East Pasco. You got one on Hillsborough Avenue. And then you got one right down the road from the facility where the Bucks play on, well, Hmm. right down the road from the facility. But this place is on North Armenia Avenue. Make sure you go to pinchasers.net. You can reserve a lane. You can reserve a party. So Great maybe place a little post-game bowling. Maybe a little post-game bowling and pizza after the Falcons yeah. game. Is or a little pre-game bowling. Get that or breakfast going pre- on. Yeah, get the breakfast go- or get the breakfast going on at night. Or so wait, exactly. remind me what the all-you-can-eat pizza again is. I'm, I'm on that. Like okay, so it's tonight. It's it's Tuesday oh, nights tonight. after nine okay. p.m. It's eleven ninety-nine. All you could eat pizza. Oh yeah, that's that's gonna happen. I might might put the, we might not hear that ad next because I might put this place the right. Place, but, but please no, make sure October eleventh. The Pewter Report Bowling League yes. is starting again. Make sure you head out to Pin Chasers on Armenia for that event. Uh, we're going to start a sign-up sheet soon. Make sure uh, to let you know. We'll send out an email with with mm-hmm. all the other details and everything like that. It's $15 a week. Very inexpensive. Great to bring your friends, your family, anyone like that. October 11th, Pewter Report Bowling League. Put it in Pin your chasers. calendar. Right. Pin Chasers. Love it. Love it. Good stuff. All right. Uh Emily, as much as I love left, which Brady was waving off play after play and taking over. No, (laughs) (laughs) this did not happen. And I appreciate the comment, Emily. And you're not the only person that thinks this, so I don't mean to make anybody feel this just happened. Um, OCs and quarterbacks and coaches and quarterbacks communicate throughout a game. That just happens. They sometimes one wants this call, another one wants this call. And guess what? Both of them could be right. Both of them could have good reasons for what they do. And they have to do it in a short amount of time. So sometimes that dialogue is terse and it's quick. And that's just the way that it is. That's just how communication works sometimes in those kind of moments, especially with the clock. So that's what happened. And obviously also, you know, waving off play over and over. That's not what happened either. But at the end of the game, we still don't know exactly what that situation was where you saw Brady go, no, no, no the sideline we also have no idea what was being said on the sideline you don't even know who brady was talking to at that point you don't know it could have been arians like we don't even know that it was leftwich so the legs to which people have kind of run with this whole brady waved off leftwich and then threw the strike to godwin this absolutely kills me like i i I, people know i've been critical of leftwich last year and was critical of Arians, but i just don't like, there's just nothing to this story at all. Like, first of all, it was just very normal communication. This wasn't like Jay Cutler mouthing F you to his coaches or something like that or whatever <laughs> that happened in Jay Cutler's day. Like, this was a very normal, like, right. interaction. And it just happened to happen in the first game of the year. And everybody's, like, dying for content and drama. Exactly. People just like to make stories when they're when there doesn't need to be one. So we, I'm not saying that Brady didn't tell Leftwich no to a play call Leftwich said. I'm just saying that is one of a million possibilities, including the fact that it wasn't even Leftwich, that it was Arian saying something to him or another coach saying something to him. We just have no idea like whether it could have been him saying no, no, no to something Leftwich was saying, we don't want to do this. And he was like agreeing with him. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Like, like no way, I'm not doing that. Like, yo, don't worry. I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not throwing in the middle of the field right now. No, 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 don't worry. We don't know. We just have no idea. There's so many possibilities. It's just so silly that we just said, yeah, Brady thinks love, which is the worst. It's just crazy to me that we get there. Uh, but anyway, just want to point that out, clarify that. Clyde Christensen did go on the Pat McAfee show. He did have things to say, but he was asked specifically about that moment. He was like, what happened there? And he was like, he totally has no idea what they're talking about on the show, clearly. And he went on to be like, yeah, we were just trying to figure out how we wanted to run the rest of the clock out. And meanwhile, the play he was being asked about was before they passed the Godwin, not after it. And he was talking about throwing the ball out of bounds, which was a good answer, but he clearly had no idea what McAfee was talking about because it doesn't freaking matter. It was not a big deal, Matt. This is not a thing. It's a this non-issue. Not a thing. It's, it's, a, it's a Super Bowl winning team that just won their first game of the season. I, I really don't think there's going to be too many, too many issues. All right, this isn't... This isn't Michael Jordan, Scotty Pip. Well, it is the Michael Jordan of football, but there's no Jerry Krause in this situation. I guess it's the this is up there with the, the Evans thing to me. Like, by the way, of just like I don't think these things like are real things. Like, the, the, I, I think just it's, want it's a fantasy. And by football, the way, that comment, it, that that left which comment is not just one person. That was a lot of people. That was 
social media. That's just, so I'm saying yeah. this in addressing social media. He could have been media. yelling at uh, like an equipment manager that was about to bring out a towel. And he's like, no, no, yeah. I don't need a towel. Yeah, just, that's what I mean. Like <laughs> somebody's bringing out water. No, no, no. Like, you know what I mean? Right. We just don't know. No, we my hands will get slippery and, you know, I won't get the snap. <laughs> <laughs> right, we just there's just uh, there didn't show enough for us to be able to draw a conclusion like that so that's all i'm saying there but the the evans thing is also hilarious to me by the way not to get away from the run thing too much but like the fact that mike evans is in trouble now even though he led the box in targets and yards and catches and, and P- everyone, gotta, everyone look up what he did in week two of last yeah. season after he, he had one catch in week one so three dudes had 90 plus yards I'm pretty yeah. sure at some point this season, Evans will be one of those three dudes. You know what's crazy, That's too, just... is everyone was lumping the receivers in together of, oh, like the Bucks have three potential future Hall of Famers right there. You also got to put in Gronk. So the <laughs> as, like, Gronk is a clear Gronk's Hall a, of Famer. A, a sure so Hall of Famer, right? you have four Hall of Fame caliber receivers. So you can make the argument it's too early in, in Chris Godwin's career, but you have four. Hall of Fame caliber receivers on this Alex, offense yeah. with the Hall of Fame quarterback throwing to them. So, yeah, you know, cool. this week it was Godwin. It was Antonio Brown. It was Gronk. Next week it could be Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, and, you know, Rojo has a great game. So you never know. It's uh, it's a bit of an, an enigma when it comes to this offense. Just who's going to be the most productive guy? It's not right. are they going to score points. It's who's going to be the one scoring. That's right. all it comes yeah, down that's to. That's part of it, too. All right, back to this run scheme for a second here. I also want to cap this with kind of it doesn't really matter that much. Like it's not the end of the world. The Buck run schemes fine last year and was not great last year, and they won the Super Bowl, and that was it. Like, you know, it just you see teams over and over again. The Chiefs are not a run heavy team. The Bills were not a run heavy team, and they're teams that are finishing at the top of their conference last year. And the Packers were, you know, a very good a good rushing team for sure, but they were not a run heavy team either. And so, you know, it's just yeah, you got the quarterback or you don't. Like that's it, honestly. Like, if you got the quarterback the and yeah, and 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 you're healthy, you know, the and then those are your big question marks. And so that's that's all I'll say about that is that I uh, at the end of the day, even though we spend some time talking about these things, and hopefully is some of it's educational, and you may disagree or agree, you know, that's totally fine. You you can think, oh, I actually think that's cap the worst rocker ever, and that's the whole reason. You know, there's probably been moments where it looks like you're right, but um, that that's some of my thoughts on the scheme in general and what they can do. To, to make that part of it better. But at the end of the day, this offense is going to be good or bad and win football games because of what they do in pass defense or pass rush do slash pass rush and what they do in the passing game, which obviously includes pass protection on top of the quarterback skill players. Those That's how you win games in today's NFL, those those parts of things. Um, so that's where they'll this season will be decided for Tampa Bay in those areas. It would be great if the run game was a little bit – more ancillary and made some downs and distances easier for the rest of the team, but they've showed they can overcome the fact that it isn't dominant in the past. And that's certainly going to be in the for them this season as well. Totally. You cut out for a second, but I think good overall. Oh, I like that hat, sir. I like that hat. I got a mug. Oh, you got got, the mug. I got it. Yeah. I've been drinking all day. I already finished my water. Oh, you've been drinking all day. Drinking water all day. Sure, sure, Drinking sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's jump into it. Living Golf Life. It's a merchandising brand. It's for golf, but it's more than about golf. It's a lifestyle. They got hats, as you see right there, that John is sporting. They got mugs. They got polos. They got koozies. They got decals. Living Golf Life is all about the lifestyle brand in the sense of the funnest part about golf isn't all the swings that you're hitting because most of them are going to be bad. You remember a couple of the good ones. It's about being outdoors, being with your friends, enjoying the elements, and that's what they embody here at Living Golf Life. They were a company that started in January of 2021. They started by people with military backgrounds uh, from the Army as well as a uh, police officer as well too. So great guys that come from great backgrounds. They're huge Bucks fans. I know – Jim, one of the founders, he was at. Oh, sorry, no, Mike was at the. Mike was at the home opener. He's got his own Bucks jersey with "Living the Golf Life" on the back. But please make sure you go to their website, livinggolflife.com. Check out the polos. Check out the hats. Show us that you're buying their merchandise, and I will play around a round of golf with you. Um, we really appreciate their support. Around they love the Bucks. Wow. Yeah, I'm dude. Where I'm do down. I'm up. down. Living we can talk about the Bucks. We could talk about the Bucks for all afternoon. I'm absolutely down with that. 
So uh, go to livinggolflife.com. Ton of great merchandise. And we will see you guys out on the golf course. Love it. Love it. Great stuff with livinggolflife.com, guys. Uh, good question here. Tony says, no disrespect to John, but how does he know Brady isn't waving off Leftwich when he's calling the game on YouTube and not at the stadium? I don't, Tony. That's what I said. <laughs> I said this. I don't. I'm saying neither does anybody know that he is doing it. We just have no idea because we aren't there. So making drama out of it when we have no evidence you know, at all is just kind of silly to me. Like That's what I'm saying. There's no, there's no real point to that. I'm not saying that he isn't. I'm just saying we don't know. There's a million possibilities. So assuming you know the most dramatic one is just very I don't know, fan-esque, media-esque too. I'll, I'll definitely rope the media in there with that. Um, and I just feel like we don't, like going down that path is, if you want to do it, go ahead. I'm just saying it's not, there's no evidence for it. And, and there's there are also no a lot of things you, you pick, there are a lot of things you pick up more, I shouldn't say more, but different things you pick up just from watching on TV than you do from being up in the press box. So even though you're higher up, you might miss something or you don't get all the replays, obviously, that you get on NBC or whatever network you're watching. There are some TVs in there that I think they actually added more into the press box than there had been in, in years past. But yeah, there's benefits to both of just watching it on your TV and then also being in attendance for it live. There's there's yeah. uh, good things you can get from both. Vortex wants to know if Darwin Thompson's better than Fournette. I'm not ready to go there, Vortex. My <laughs> Fournette uh, negativity is not, is not include practice squad players are better than Leonard Fournette yet. I reserve the right to change my opinion at a later time. If Leonard frustrates me enough, he was getting close the other day, but then he redeemed himself with a solid fourth quarter. He so. bounced back after the drop. He made some good receptions. I know we talked about the one earlier, but he had a couple other plays too, where he, uh, he, 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 he got back up to, to average, I guess we could say <laughs> he climbed his way back. And, and I will say that about him. He's a resilient dude. He's, he's tough. And, yes. Uh, mentally. Uh, I think he has a tough mentality. So, I appreciate that about him for sure. Um, okay, a couple questions here. I'll just get you. If you have questions, let them fly. We'll take a couple here at the end of the show. We got a few minutes still now that we've um, broken down the, the run game. Hans wants to know, is Aaron Rodgers actively tanking the Packers season or was he just that bad? <laughs> he was just that bad. He, he was not bad. actively tanking the season. That would be hilarious. And oh man, great That's the rumor that's going around <laughs> that he's trying yeah. to break them up within. I don't know. I don't think Let's that's see. the case here. I think it's just a bad game. Um, but it is funny that like there were not many bad quarterback performances in week one. And that was kind of what happened last year, too, and probably even the year before that. Like it was there was scoring was up and the offensive efficiency was up, and a lot of guys looked great at the beginning of the year, and then later in the year, it's like, uh, you know, th- so many of these quarterbacks have started hot, will look bad in a couple weeks and we'll yeah. come back to reality. Defenses start slower than offenses for a couple for a couple uh, years in a row now. Um, I didn't think it was much exception the other day um, to that other than uh, Steelers. Um, but yeah, I thought that Aaron Rodgers was probably the worst quarter. Now, other than Ben Roethlisberger, maybe those two were probably the worst, which is funny because big names, obviously. <laughs> I'm trying to think. And I'm sure yeah, I'm leaving somebody out, but those were up there with the with the guy. Like Tannehill, I don't even think you can blame because he got hit so yeah. many times just getting sacked yeah. by Chandler Jones yeah. uh, you know right. stuff too and I haven't seen every snap of everybody yet but those two were yeah I'm a big red there. zone guy so you know they yeah. don't show the good things right <laughs> <laughs> um but that is so that is funny um uh somebody asked what is the evaluation of Devin White in coverage a lot of underneath stuff but nothing blown I didn't feel like you know one, one thing I'll say there was a blitz call or like a fake he was supposed to like pretend he was blitzing and then drop out into coverage and hopefully steal one and he just came way too far on the blitz and then didn't you know cut got tied up a little bit and then didn't kind of was trying to get back and a lot of big completion over his head on a third down um when dallas was in the red area they end up scoring and, and so he didn't really provide winfield with the underneath coverage that winfield needed to be successful so um he just has to those kind of things I think hurt a little bit um, at times he gets a little over aggressive and then has a hard time making up the space that he created by being over aggressive. But I, I didn't think it was a bad performance in coverage for him, really bad tackling performance for him. Um, even when he kind of got guys to the ground, he was not impactful tackling. You kind of overran him, allowed Elliot to squeak through for that third and short conversion on maybe the first drive for Dallas. I can't, uh, I think it was the first drive for Dallas and they end up no points on that drive, but it was not his most impactful game for sure, um, but he also was not in the action as much because Dallas barely ran the ball and they picked the blitzes really yeah. well. And you know, so a lot of the passing was outside. Um, so 
Yeah, he had a tough match. You can, one. You can feel Lamb. Devin White's presence when he's, you know, having his impact yeah. on the game. And you never he really frustrated. You never felt that too much from the Cowboys yeah. game. And uh, with everything you said, that it was more of the, the Cowboys game plan more than anything else. And overall in coverage, I thought he was okay. I don't, you know, he, he wasn't the reason that they allowed so many points overall. Right. But, you I know, agree. Yeah, he'll he'll build not. from it. He'll have, he'll have better games. He'll, Hopefully not, but he, he could have worse games than what he did. Uh, for the <laughs> he's had, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no. I mean, he's had he's had way worse games than. It was that. just kind of a non-factor game for a guy that's usually a factor, positively or negatively. Yeah, absolutely. Really, wasn't a huge game one way or the other for him. Uh, Toby wants to know: Is the bend but don't break mindset something that is more attributed to Todd Bowles and his overall defensive scheme, or more of a product of the depth chart and execution? No, definitely Bowles. This is a, this is a Bowles thing. They 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 give up short yarded stuff, and they let teams kind of go underneath against them a little bit, and they need to tackle yeah. well when they do it, and they need to get a, a pressure play, a sack, pressures, turnovers, um, tackles for loss. That's kind of what the defense is built off. They don't want you to beat them deep, and they don't want you to get into favorable down distances due to the run game. They think if you can string together enough perfect passes to get all the way down the field and finish in the red zone, and you could do that enough times to beat their offense, then you deserve the dub. And uh, I will say it worked for them a lot last year, eventually in the end. Um, if the offense can be all that it can be consistently, it might really work for them this season <laughs> because teams will be scrambling to try yeah, to score them. Exactly. If the Bucs are going to con- continue to score 30 points a game, I know this one was 31, but last year they averaged 30.8. If the Bucs are scoring 30 points a game, then all you need is the bend but don't break. You just need mm-hmm. to have a couple of those red zone opportunities turn into field goals for your opponent instead of touchdowns. So I don't really have an issue with, with that type of defense for this Bucks team specifically. And um, as long as it doesn't take too much time off the clock, you know, with the underneath stuff, which I don't think too much of the time that'll be much of an issue. But overall, right. again, complimentary football is what it's all about. So mm-hmm. Todd Bowles knows what he has on the other side of the ball with with the Bucks offense. So for him as a defensive coordinator, you see that and you you know how to have to change the game in that aspect. Right. Yep, he does. And I think that it's probably there's some real advantages to play in the way that they play, given the fact that I don't know if their secondary can like go toe to toe and fight for every square inch with guys like you know Baltimore's for example, um, or something like that. So um, Baltimore's were healthy, I should say. Arvinder wants to know what's the story with Geo. Matt thinks his ankle's still a little bit of a problem. I don't think the playbook's a problem. I don't think his ankle's a problem, but maybe you're right, Matt. And then I would just say that they really want him to be in his certain role, and they haven't really thought about him or imagined him outside of that. And maybe it takes an injury for them to get there with Giovanni Bernard. I. I I think he could do more than they asked him to do, but it's clear that they don't feel that way, Matt. They want him to be their pass catcher, their two-minute back. Of course. Third down pass protection I guy, want him to be all of that and more as well. Yeah, so we'll see what ends up happening with Gio. The book is not closed yet on the Giovanni Bernard. Could he be more saga in Tampa Bay? Um, should we award Keith Armstrong as best <laughs> coach for week one? No, uh, the special teams no. was pleasantly surprising. I mean, I think we got to give a huge shout out to Bradley Pinion for the yeah. way that he punted the ball. I know we, we've spoken about him. The return game was awesome. Special teams as a whole was a huge and pleasant surprise after Thursday night's game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very good start for special teams. Watch the snaps too. The one thing I will say, I don't know if it's an Armstrong issue or just a personnel deployment issue and how much say he has in that because he has to just run with who's active. The Buck new look punt team with like Pat O'Connor and Anthony Nelson as wings. Ross Cockrell is the up back who played up back for the first time in his life in the Super Bowl. Um, I am not sure about it. Um, now Zach Triner is going to be replaced. And I'll say this for Triner, he busts his tail and obviously snaps are never an issue with Triner. He's not a very good predictor, blocker on the punt. So. Well, they won't have maybe to matter they, now because he's... Yeah, maybe Carson Tinker is is better at that. I don't know. But the chemistry of getting the snaps down is going to be another issue with that they have to kind of work out now on special teams. So good challenge for Keith Armstrong there. I'm worried about the punt protection group, Matt. This There were some near blocks. Yeah, the there, were, there were one or two where I... Uh, there were some in the Super where Bowl. Where I was like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, there were some in the Super Bowl. I, I just don't know, man. They are not a lot of athletes on the coverage group either right now. I mean took Mike Edwards and Andrew Adams and replaced him with 
Pat O'Connor and Anthony Nelson as wings. <laughs> so you have very little speed. Uh, if Delaney and Jaden Mickens don't get down there, it's it's not a group that's going to run many people right. down if they keep that group that they had against Dallas. Luckily, Pinion just saves their coverage unit so much by being just so bomb. You know, <laughs> like great punts, great kickoffs, and it limits what the what those guys have to do. So if that continues, they'll be fine on special teams. Um, so Ish, Ishmael or Ismail said, PR, I think you got to prepare better than that. We won the Super Bowl with all of that you were talking down on. I know I think that's pretty much exactly what we said in our preparation and, and in our execution of this podcast, Ismail, is that we are talking about the run game because it matters to people and because it's part of football, it's part of our job. At the end of the day, we don't believe that even the fact that you, know, you say talking down on the fact that this isn't a great run scheme is actually going to affect whether this team wins or loses a Super Bowl or not. Like it shouldn't. If it did, something else was wrong with another area. So, yeah, I think maybe if you go back and listen to the whole thing, uh, you'll see what we mean. But, yeah, but we're basically saying that while this is something that we'll talk about here, they're not going to win or lose the Super Bowl because of the run scheme. Um, uh, yeah, I think we got through a lot of the good questions. There's so many questions. You guys did an awesome job uh, setting up for questions. Last one, I'm going to make yeah. sure I always get Pat's question in. Can the Bucs design a running play for Gronk from the tight end position? <laughs> when he gets at his team, he is hard to tackle. All right, Pat. He is tough to tackle. To the run game, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Does Gronk have a carry in his career? Yeah, yeah I think up. he has. So he has a touchdown. Because the other day, his two touchdowns, his two tutties, they were his 100th between him and Brady. But he also has a touchdown reception from Blaine Gabbert last season. And he has another one from his New England days where it yeah. technically it technically counted. It like looked a like rush. a passing play, but it was technically a rushing play. Pro so, football reference has him with one rushing touchdown in 2011. Yeah. Two yards, or one rush in his career. Two yards. I'm, I'm telling you though that that play it looks like a passing play, but they qualified it as a as a rushing play. Hmm. Again, it was it was what 2011. So we're talking about right. So he's never a got a straight ago? handoff. Right. Got a straight, a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, great question, Pat. I don't think it's going to happen. Nor do maybe I. Vita Vea. That you I have probably have a better chance with that. Uh, will he hold the ball? Will he squish the ball? Will he deflate the ball? Will we have deflate gate again because of nah, that, 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 don't, don't bring that up with Brady on this team. Come on. Come <laughs> Emily on. says Vito on all short yardage. That would yeah, be he got it. Really he got a snap. He got a snap the other day and he can catch would, the ball. So if he can catch the ball, he could probably hold on to it for a yard. They should let Vita Vea take the snap under center and then jump and put the ball over the top. Jump. There you go. You yeah. are jumping. Yeah, why he not? does have like a 31-inch vert or something for his size. Really impressive. Hey, speaking of things that are really impressive, Matt, how about our friends over at Manscaped? Manscaped.com with the Performance Package 4.0 and the Tom Brady of Ball Trimmers, the brand-new Lawnmower 4.0. The world is starting to open in Performance Package 4.0 for Manscaped. He's here to help you get ready. And set inside, you'll find their brand new lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the crop preserver ball deodorant, the crop reviver toner, plus the performance boxer briefs and the shed travel brag. Let me tell you though about this this uh, 4.0 lawnmower. It has the multifunction on-off switch that can engage that travel lock. So you don't have about it buzzing and battery dying in your backpack or whatever. Uh, it's waterproof. It's a light so you can see everything going on down there. It's terrific. So is the nose and air hair, your hair trimmer. Um, you've got the most comfortable boxer briefs that you'll ever feel in your entire life um, from Manscaped. And then you've also got the crop preserve and the crop deodorant. Uh, unbelievable package that comes with Manscaped. You can get it for 20% off plus free shipping right now with the promo code Pewter20, P-E-W-T-E-R 20. You can go to manscaped.com. You can get that. Ask for it for a gift for yourself. Get it for somebody as a gift for, for, for somebody that you know. Use that promo code Pewter20, P-E-W-T-E-R 20 at uh, manscaped.com. Get that 20% off. Get the free shipping. Do that today. That uh, Manscaped, I'm telling you, man. Top of the line products. Uh, the top of the line execution. Their stuff is great. We're not making it up. We're huge fans. Check it out. Uh, get yourself uh, all manscaped up today. All right, Matt. Uh, this has been a great show. We got through a lot of content. We got through a lot of great questions. We had great participation from you all. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it's a great show. If you don't know, subscribe to Peter Report uh, TV over at Peter Report uh, on YouTube. 
Uh, you can search, subscribe, hit the bell for the notification for when we go live. More content will be rolling out all week. Tomorrow, Scott and I will preview the Falcons game at 4 p.m. Eastern. Really looking forward to getting those game previews back with Scott and I on Wednesdays uh, when we got the Sunday games. That'll be the, the formula, so make sure you tune in for that. All kinds of stats, numbers, matchups, all the stuff you need to know for Bucks Falcons on Sunday. And then on Thursday, we get to sit down with Jay Retcher. That's going to be a night show. Oh, let's Casey go. Hudson and I, yeah, Casey Hudson and I will sit down with Jay Retcher of WDAE, uh, oh, Beckles and Retcher. Uh, we'll get to talk with him. That'll be 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Thursday night. So mark your calendars, hit that bell for the notifications for when we go live so you don't forget Thursday. We're moving to the nighttime slot, little primetime time slot before Thursday night football, which is probably going to be a dud game, but – uh, we'll have that thing wrapped up by kickoff, hopefully, with with uh, with Jay. Uh, but looking forward to talking with him, talking some bucks on the Peter Report podcast, and then obviously we'll move over into Sunday, and we'll have the game day, uh, the pregame show uh, going an hour before kickoff, starting at 3 p.m. Uh, for the game day against the Falcons, and then we'll have the game day live in-game stream going at 4 p.m. We're breaking things down, myself and Paul Atwell, very excited for that. Lots to talk about with this Bucks team and this matchup with the Falcons. Lots will preview tomorrow that will tell you this should be one that's pretty fun on Sunday. Should be. Emphasis on should. Um, so we'll have all that coming for you in the next couple of days in the Peter Report podcast. Thank you all. We love you all. Appreciate you all tuning in. Appreciate you all for the support and the questions. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Peter Report podcast. Ow. NFC South went 3-1 and one this week. How will they look next week? Who knows?